Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to another amazing, and of course, my favorite, awesome episode of the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you listening in, and I believe we're getting close to 75,000 downloads, and we couldn't do that without any of you listening on the podcast here. So thank you so much for doing that. With all of our discussions about aviate, navigate, and communicate, three favorite words, we thought it was time to do an episode all about your favorite thing in the world. Carson, what is that? Emergency procedures. Well, this is going to be an awesome and amazing episode because we get to talk about emergency procedures. Carson, are you ready for this? I'm so ready for it. We're going to be talking about our next three favorite words, which are mayday, mayday, mayday. No, no, no. That wasn't in the script. I just thought about that one on the spot. I hope you appreciate that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to stay away from those three words unless it's really needed or pan, pan, pan. All these words you say three times in a row. Help, help, help. All right. Help, help, help. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, the basis for this whole thing is if you need help, by the way, just ask for help. Yeah, like all things in life. You know, if you need it, just ask for it and someone's going to try and help you. It's true. Today, actually, we are recording from very different locations, Carson, aren't we? So Carson is out uh, at his home office in California. And I am in Las Vegas at Fasana. Fasana's uh, opening day starts tomorrow. Uh, if you happen to be a flight school owner and uh, you're coming out this week, uh, please come check out our booth. And if you happen to be a student at the Flight School Association of North America for some reason, or you're in Vegas, go ahead and reach out to me. Um, I'll be out here hanging out and having a great time. And we're going to meet some of the great Stratus staff members, some of the great Stratus investors. Or we're going out to dinner with them tonight. And also, of course, some of our wonderful partner schools that help us meet so many pilots, just like yourself that's listening uh, to this episode right now. Brian, how long are you going to be out there for? I'm leaving early Friday morning, and I think the rest of the staff are here till Saturday morning. I've got plans this weekend, so I am uh, taking off, and I'm going to go snowboarding. I haven't gone snowboarding in a year, and uh, I've been invited to this uh, snowboard event like, I don't know, six months ago we started on this uh, event, and I've been in a uh, WhatsApp group for... Yeah, over six months, and I'm excited to go. I've already paid for my room. I've already done everything. I've already paid for my lift ticket and Mammoth. I am ready to go. You know, it's so hard to get in the same place at the same time, and you just travel all the time. I have been on the road more than I have been home this year, actually, for 2024. I have literally been in hotels more than I've been in my own bed, and uh, I'm not happy about that. I'm hoping that can change and uh, maybe Q... Well, Q2 is not going to happen either. Q4... Maybe Q3. We'll see. Q3 is not going to happen either because I'm going to Oshkosh for a week. And then I've got the Olympics in Paris. So I'm going to be gone for three weeks in Q3. So it's got to be Q4 that maybe I can settle down and sit at home, possibly. But uh, for some reason, I have a feeling that's not going to happen either. Well, we're going to be in the Philippines in a little bit over two weeks, under two weeks now. Under two weeks. I leave next Friday. A week from Friday night, I cannot wait to meet everybody over there. It's going to be awesome. Cool. Carson, well, let's get into this before we lose everybody talking about snowboarding and uh, everything not aviation, right? So, Sorry, if you guys couldn't tell, Brandon and I haven't been able to talk much lately. Well, we've uh, both been pretty busy. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. But we'll dive into it. We'll, we can talk about airplanes. It's our favorite thing. It's getting back to emergencies. Every emergency is going to be pretty unique to that environment. The weather, the plane, the pilot. It's all going to be different every time. Even you, even if the pilot is the same pilot every flight, you're going to be in a different mind space. Your training is going to be different. You might be super current sometimes and not so super current other times. Yeah, super current, Carson. Super current. Emergency procedures 
in aviation are structured responses to various unexpected and potentially dangerous situations, and they're going to be standard. These procedures can range from engine failures and fires to in-flight medical emergencies, and the goal of procedures is to enable pilots to handle the situation very effectively, minimize risk to the aircraft, and minimize danger to the passengers and the crew. Yeah, engine failures, for instance, are a significant concern, especially if you're flying a one-engine aircraft, single-engine airplane, the thing that I don't know, 99% of us learn on for the first time, whether it's caused by fuel starvation, which I would argue is probably the most uh, common thing, mechanical failure or other issues, pilots must uh, prepare to respond to it uh, immediately. Now, when we say immediately, it doesn't mean stop flying the airplane. It still means aviate, navigate, communicate, by the way, Uh, but you need to start taking steps rather immediately and your body just needs to start going to that checklist or or, uh, going to that well, really, you need to do a self-checklist first, and then you need to do the emergency checklist, uh, depending on how much time you have. Because remember, aviate is the first thing. You need to fly that airplane. But there's other emergencies. They include electrical failures, cabin depressurization, doors flying off or door plugs flying off on 737s while in flight at 14,000 feet, onboard fires. And here's an interesting one today. I don't think it was an emergency, but I was flying on JSX uh, to Vegas today, and there was a whistling sound. And I was like, that's a weird whistling sound. And I checked for flight and I noticed we weren't that high. Like we weren't into the flight levels. And I was curious why that was going on. And there was a whistling sound and either the door was never shut properly when they shut the the door to the cabin, uh, or there was a pressurization issue in that airplane. And there was a whistling sound because air was entering the cabin at a very rapid rate. It was a sound. I hope you like my sound effects. That was done by me, not by my soundboard, by the way. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was a really good one. Uh, could we get that sound one more time or is it not? Replicable? Oh, it is. Wow. Fantastic. I can do it every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hidden skill of mine. I can actually whistle like, like very, very well. <laughs> Brandon, did you go up to the pilot after the flight and say, hey, I'm Brandon Martini, you know, commercial pilot and flight instructor. I'm one of the aviation mentors. Can you tell me what that noise was? Uh, no, I did not do that. Okay. So that's, that's what I would have done. I did look at the first officer with like a scowl at the end because his landing was absolutely atrocious. Like he did one of these landings where he like landed on the left wheel and then picked up the whole airplane, landed on the right wheel, and then landed on the nose wheel, and then landed on the left wheel again. It was like a cartwheel type landing. It was one of those things that you do when you're just learning to fly. And I was just like appalled by how horrible his landing was. And there was not that bad of wind. I mean, maybe it was shooken up from the whole flight over here because it was bad. I mean, there was a lot of bad turbulence, like bad enough for where I heard a lady in the back, like scream a little bit. And I was just like sitting there on my phone, like hammering out emails. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. I better just tighten my seatbelt a little. I was sitting uh, next to the emergency exit, though. So I made sure I had my seatbelt on the entire time. And I made sure my bag was stuffed under just in case the door flew off. But I should have known it wouldn't. You know why? Because it wasn't a Boeing and uh, it was an Embraer 175. So I've never heard of doors blowing off on those. <laughs> yeah. On the way to the Philippines, Matt and I are in the exit row and we're keeping our seatbelts on the entire time. There's, it's, it's a Boeing. It's a Boeing. Wow. You got to pay a premium to get that exit roll. Pretty good. Don't worry. Stress didn't pay for that one. Oh, thank you. Perfect. So uh, I've had all sorts of types of emergencies. Uh, since we talked first off on engine failures, I want to bring up a uh, an emergency that I actually had uh, because it was a... It was an interesting one. So at Kavu, which uh, we've talked to Richard on on the podcast a couple times, I believe. Hasn't been for a while. We need to get him back on. 
But uh, and I actually talked to him the other day, and he said he wanted to come on the the podcast again. So we got to get him on here. I'm going to see him next week. So maybe we can figure out how to record that. Maybe in person. I'll bring my laptop out to Kabu. Uh, but I do all the engine break-ins whenever he puts in new engines in those airplanes. Uh, at least I did for a long time. We hasn't done done them in a while. But uh, I was the one who broke in all the new engines. So I was the guinea guinea pig test pilot. Uh, that's the type of stuff I live for though. I mean, I want to, I want to go for the more extreme types of flying, the, the normal everyday flying just kind of doesn't do it for me anymore. I need something a little more excitement, right? What's more exciting about getting into a plane where, uh, where the mechanic just literally took the motor off and put it back on or took the propeller off and put it back on. Just, just hoping that he did everything correctly and followed his checklist. Um, that's a lot of, uh, oh, that's a lot of trust. And I'll tell you this, I have a ton of trust in Richard. So and I can't even give you too much flack for trying to wanting to do those kind of flights because we're pilots. I mean, adrenaline junkie is kind of part of it for a lot of us. It is. And didn't I bring you on one of those flights? You did. It was one of the most terrifying experiences. Of my Nothing went wrong. It was just, I was so scared. Nothing went wrong on that flight? I thought something did go wrong. No. no? I just, okay. you're crappy landing. But aside from that, like, it was, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, Carson was really scared. Was that in the Duchess? It was in the Duchess. Both yeah. engines had been rebuilt by Rich, and I trust Rich. And obviously, I got in the airplane, but I was still scared, especially with the pre-flight brief that Brandon gave me. He said, "Just let you know, this is the time when things are more most likely to go wrong." And then he gave me a notepad and a pen, and said, "Here, I'm going to write down anything that looks abnormal, so you write it down." He started listing things off, and I had a pretty big list that was growing in front of me. So yeah, it was a little scary. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is true because normally I write that on my kneeboard and I'm just I'm writing little abnormalities like I want to like it the engine needs to be tuned in this way or or oil pressure slightly high on this one so we got to turn up or turn down the oil. When I was a student pilot, I didn't totally know what everything meant. Now I'd be like, oh yeah, that's not a it's not a huge deal. No, but I, at the time I I was terrified. I was like, what does that mean? Is that we're gonna fall out of the sky? He's like, no, we're gonna stay pretty close. Just do wide circuits over Riverside. Just in case. And if we did fall out of the sky, we'd just turn off all the engines and we would have just glided down. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But on one of those flights, it was actually in an arrow. And I don't think it was my arrow. I think it was somebody else's arrow. I don't remember. But this engine took a long time to get parts for. So it sat for a while. And everything checked out. It looked good. The propeller looked good. Everything looked good. Um, the engine, it was just rebuilt. And there was a seal in the propeller because the propeller wasn't overhauled. A seal internally was just cracked. Or something was wrong with it or it wasn't making a really good seal. Like a like if you had an old bad O-ring type of thing. It wasn't an O-ring per se, but it was just a seal inside the propeller. And it actually was making it so when oil went into, into the prop, it actually sprayed the windshield. So And it didn't happen immediately. It was like trickling for a second. So we, we looked at it. And Richard was actually with me on this flight. Um, so it was just trickling out. And then all of a sudden, the windshield was just covered in oil. And this was on our first lap around the pattern. And I was thinking to myself, oh, no, what are we going to do? Like, we're monitoring the, the engine to see if we're losing, like, all the oil pressure. I'm, like, deciding if I need to shut off the motor so we can save the engine uh, because it's a brand new engine. I mean, obviously, I would keep it on and just fly it if I thought it was I wasn't going to make a runway or something. But those are emergency procedures I'm just going through my head. And I didn't have much time. I mean, can't see over the windshield. So ended up uh, uh, telling telling Tower, hey, we've got an oil leak. I need to land immediately. It wasn't necessarily an emergency. It was just they gave us priority landing. I don't think there was anybody in the – this was a couple of years ago, a couple, three years ago. There was nobody in the uh, pattern per se. Uh, so they just gave us priority landing. We landed really quick. 
and I actually had to land by looking out the side window. And uh, now, since that happened, I've actually incorporated that as as into like my secondary training, not necessarily into training for private pilots, but somebody who's working on a different rating. Uh, I won't fully cover the windshield, but I will cover it on their side. So they have to look through the side window and land based on that sight picture. And I'll coach them through it. So it's not like they're doing it on their own, like the first time. And I'll be looking out the windshield and I can do both sides. But I want to make sure that they understand that there's an emergency that can happen. It's happened to me where you can't see through that front windshield. And there are other pilots that uh, that have flown like in icing conditions and their de-ice on their windshields gone out. So they've had to deal with that as well. Uh, and those are on jets, big airplanes. So I think that's a that's kind of a common thing, having your windshield either freeze up or... Um, or oil all over it, or you just flew through a bunch of bugs or a bird strike. There's a bunch of different things that can happen that might not necessarily be engine, uh, but it can reduce your visibility. So those are some interesting things that I would say uh, have happened to me. And uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned you know, putting that as part of your, your secondary training, which I guess you didn't feel like I was worthy of because you never had me stick my head out of the window to land. You're still not even instrument rated, Carson. I can't. I got to let you work on it a little bit. I mean, let's get you back in the cockpit again. I think you need a BFR ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it for a, from a different pilot. Don't worry. Much better idea. <laughs> BFRs and, and secondary training, all of it. Regular training and the preparation are you know, critical for handling the emergency. You know what, Carson? I just want to remind you of something. Okay. When you start doing your BFR again, I just want to remind you of this. You can always go around. Okay, so just reminder on that. Unless you have an engine failure, you might not be able to. You better stick that landing. And that was Brandon's biggest beef with that song. It was the first time that I played it for him and said, hey, have you heard this? He's like, well, that's not true. You can't always go around. Like, what if there's an engine failure or some... I was like, you're not... You're missing the whole point of the song. Just... (laughs) You got way too many noises. Anyway, trading is super important for any sort of emergency. And that's going to include familiarizing yourself with that particular aircraft and emergency procedures. Because the emergency procedures for an engine failure in a single-engine airplane and a multi-engine are not going to be the same. I can guarantee you that. And practicing these emergency scenarios over and over again and staying updated with the, the latest protocols for it. Especially for that plane. Especially when you change airplanes. And especially when you change areas that you're flying in. There's a lot of change that's going to happen in aviation. But having that training is never going to change. That's something that you always need to have. You know, Carson, I think you said the word change a lot of times in that. And uh, I think you made a point. Things change. That, that, was, that was the point of that one. That was the point. Good. I'm, I'm so happy about yeah. that. It's a good change. It's a good change. So let's um, segue into some general first steps that you take in any, any emergency. We keep on saying the words aviate, navigate, communicate, right? Those are very important. The first thing says aviate. That means fly that airplane. So maintain control of the aircraft. Don't worry about anything else. You need to worry that airplane's under control. So pitch for best airspeed and make sure that you're flying that airplane first. Okay. Maintain control of the airplane. Then determine the problem. Figure out what's going on right now. Is it a gauge issue? Is it a you issue? Is it an airplane issue? What is the issue? Figure out what the problem is. Execute the emergency procedures. Do your mental checklist and then pull out the real checklist if you have time. If you're at 12,000 feet and you have an engine failure, guess what? You can probably troubleshoot that. Now, if you're 300 feet and you just took off, I don't think you're pulling out the 
that emergency checklist, right? You need to use your best judgment on when and how to use that checklist, okay? And then determine landing criteria. You need to figure out, okay, where are you landing at? Are you landing straight ahead? Are you landing uh, on a road? Are you landing in a field? Are you ditching in water? What are you going to do? Um, and you need to make these decisions fairly quickly. Now, by the way, doesn't mean just make a decision and stick with it. If you decided, hey, I'm going to land uh, on a golf course that's right next to a freeway, and all of a sudden you now see a ton of golfers on that golf course, and you see a really wide open place on the freeway, change your mind. It's okay. But make sure you don't do it at the last second where you're not going to make it to that new landing spot, right? Your first job is to make sure that that people and things on the ground are taken into account. You don't want to you don't want to hit somebody on the ground and kill them, right? And you also don't want to kill yourself. But you need to make sure that they are the first priority. You need to make sure that these people on the ground are the ones you care about first. I know um, there was a jet that uh, crash landed on a freeway. I think about a week ago, Carson. Does that sound right? About a week ago. It was less than a week ago. It was only a couple days ago. A couple days ago. So whenever that happened, but if you look at it, you could tell that the pilots did everything they could to keep the public safe. They literally sidestepped where they knew they would hit a wall because they didn't want to land directly on a car. They did a heck of a job. I mean, I was really impressed with that landing. I don't know the specifics of everything. I don't know if they ran out of fuel or based on the explosion I saw, I don't think they ran out of fuel, but whatever the issue was, I think that they took the public um, into account when they were doing that landing, which was good. And uh, I know that a few people passed away, which was very unfortunate, but they really did at the last second, all that I've seen and all that I know about it, I think they did the right thing. Now, when I hear the NTSB report, I may think differently, uh, and we can probably diagnose what happened on that at some point. But uh, but yeah, they were they did what they needed to do. So back to what I was saying, aviate, navigate, communicate. So you aviate. So you fly that airplane. You figure out what's going on. You navigate. So find your best place to land, right? ABC, airspeed, best place to land, and communicate, right? But if you notice, we've said communicate last on every single time. It's because that's the least important thing. Now, it doesn't matter if somebody's yelling at you, uh, telling you to talk to them. You need to fly that airplane first, okay? Find out where you're going to go second and then talk to them third. You can explain everything when you're on the ground. You can explain, you can have somebody be yelling at you on the ground, but I'd rather be on the ground with somebody yelling at me than me in the ground in a pile of smoking ash, right? Uh, not being able to communicate with anybody, none of my loved ones after. So make sure you're doing that. That's a great image to put in people's heads, Brandon. Sorry. I mean, it just, it's realistic. I mean, you want to, you want to live. I mean, if you're at, we're talking about emergencies today. If, if we have a problem, we just, we have a problem. We have to solve it. Right. And I don't want to solve it by being a uh, big smoldering piece of trash into the ground. Like that's not my version of solving it. Like an engine failure, in-flight fire, all these things are possible. And I'm going to do my best to get on the ground and, and be safe. And I'll tell you this, this is still one of the most safe ways of travel. The odds of these things happening to you are not very good. You're probably not going to have a real in-flight emergency like losing two engines on a multi or or one engine on a single engine. These things are not normal. They don't normally happen, but we have to prepare ourselves in case they do. And that's what most of the recurrent training is for airline pilots. They are doing training to ensure that they can they can handle an emergency which is fantastic. That's what we, that's why, why pilots get paid so much. 
That's why you, the listener that's listening to us, wants to become a pilot because you make a lot of money, not for all the button pressing and takeoffs and landings you do. That stuff's easy by the end of the day, right? It might be hard as a, as a student, but it's really easy at the end of the day once you know how to do it. What you get paid for is to deal with the emergency situations once a year or once a career or whatever it is. That's what you got paid your entire career, millions of dollars to deal with that one time that it was a pain in the butt for you to deal with that aircraft. That's what you got paid for. I mean, literally, that's it. Otherwise, you can just go press buttons. Autopilot's your friend. You heard autopilot and chill? That's what you do. Just autopilot and chill. Wrong context. I know, Carson, but I figured we'd throw in a funny uh, funny thing on here. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever heard someone say autopilot and chill. Uh, but that's probably because the planes I fly don't have autopilot. And, that's uh, true. I only fly with you, so I sure hope you don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it's funny that you, you're talking about you know, not becoming a, a smoldering pile of ash because of that recurrent training. So I actually made a list of uncommon emergencies, some of those emergencies that happen more more than others. So I made a list of eight of them, and I'm going to list them off, and I want you to, uh, to pick the ones you'd like to respond to. I'll give you that leniency at least. And for everyone else listening, let us know if you want us to go over any of the ones that we don't cover today, and we'd be happy to do another episode about this because, as you can tell, Brand and I have a lot of fun with it. I'm going to tell you because of our time, I'm going to say we're going to go over number four and number seven, and the rest of them we can attack at a different time. Actually, four, seven, and eight. We'll do four, seven, and eight. I can do each one of those in about a minute. And uh, Carson, you want to list all of them, and then uh, we'll tell everybody what they are. Absolutely. So the ones I really want to hear him answer were the, uh, the ones that he didn't pick, of course. But I've already heard his answers. I just want you guys to hear them too. Uh, so number one, catastrophic engine failure. Two, partial engine power. Three, battery or alternator or electrical failure. Four, uh, Brand's going to respond to that one, is aborting a takeoff. Five is a multi-engine airplane with one engine failure. Six is a wing fire. Seven, an open door in flight. And eight is landing gear failure. So Brand's going to be taking on uh, aborting a takeoff, open door in flight, and landing gear failure. For us, just to be clear, uh, open door in flight is on a, on a general aviation aircraft and not 737 exactly in which case you you just buckle in precisely there's a reason why i pick these three by the way um the other ones are less likely to happen uh and i pick these three because these are very likely to happen i mean they're just i guarantee you will board a takeoff i guarantee a door is going to fly open in flight and i guarantee at some point you're going to have an indication of your landing gear failing so that's why I picked these three. You might not have a total landing gear failure, but you'll have an indication of one. So I wanted to touch base on that. So first one is aborting a takeoff. That one's easy. Pull the power back, land straight ahead of you. I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter where you're at in the takeoff. Uh, unless if you're flying multi, this is totally different. I'm talking about single engine, learning to fly. Uh, if you're going to abort a takeoff, pull that power back and land straight ahead. doesn't matter if you're going to go off the end of the runway. doesn't matter if there's a field right at the end of the runway. Most, if not all airports have a... Uh, have an area for you to land off of the runway in front of you uh, after you take off. So if you abort a takeoff, just pull that power and remember to aviate and fly the airplane back to the ground. You may have just taken off and you're about to kill the power and you're just going to continue going straight and you just need to pretend that now you're in a landing position and that's really all there is to it. doesn't matter if you go off the runway, just land in front of you because it's better that you have to deal with this issue on the ground rather than in the air. And I'll tell you the most common thing that's going to happen. Your pitot tube has something in it and you don't have an airspeed indication. 
Uh, second most uh, common on that side is you forget to take off your pedo tube cover because you didn't do a proper pre-flight. And uh, I'm not proud to say, but I have done that once or twice before um, in a hurry. You think you do a perfect pre-flight. You look at your checklist and be like, oh, yeah, I checked that. I checked that. I checked that. And you're like, oh, maybe I checked that last flight two hours ago, but I didn't check it this time. So those things do happen. And uh, pedo tube does get bugs in there. And then they just you can't fly the airplane, right? It's going to show you a... a either zero airspeed or it might do something really weird. You never know, especially if the bug or something is, is in a different part of the pedo static system than, uh, than it originally was. It could change. Uh, so keep that in mind. Just, just fly forward. Open door. This one's a huge one. Your door is going to open in flight. It's going to happen. You're going to have a passenger that you didn't brief, you didn't brief properly, or you didn't check their door closing abilities. Um, and their door is going to fly open. I actually have a friend of mine, uh, actually, everybody on here has heard him, Anthony, his girlfriend is flying with him and they take off and she didn't close the door all the way. And the door popped open. And where was her, uh, her cell phone? Well, it was sitting on her lap. Uh, so it ended up inside uh, a hill area, uh, in the middle of a bunch of dirt and they never found the cell phone. So, I mean, it happens. Uh, we've also heard when that, when that door plug fell out of, fell out of that 737 guess what? They found the door plug. They also found two cell phones. By the way, there were iPhones, by the way. Uh, and they were just fine. They were working still. So the door opening's easy. All it, all you have to do is fly the airplane, aviate, navigate, communicate, right? Fly the airplane, navigate back to whatever you're going to do. Hey, are you really close to your next stop? Are you just going to turn back around and go land? Probably. Cause you're not going to be able to close that door with the amount of pressure and how fast you're going. It's just not going to happen. I tell everybody, if you're driving a, a car and you're going 50 miles an hour, try to open the door and then try to reclose it. Sometimes it's possible, but probably not going to be. And that's in a car I'm talking about, by the way. So all you got to do is go land the airplane. The airplane's still flying. There's going to be no real difference um, between that door being open and being closed. I mean, there's a little bit of drag more, but honestly, it's not going to make a big difference. Just go back, go land and close the door. Um, if you have somebody who's kind of uh, a seasoned pilot, you might just be able to do a touch and go or a stop and go if you're if you're uh, able to and just close the door and then pff, take off again. You might not even have to have that much of a, a diversion. Last one is landing gear failure. So first off, go read your POH and uh, know exactly what you do if you have a landing gear failure. But I'll tell you the most one of the most common things that happens when you're having a landing gear failure, especially in like an older arrow, it has three lights. A lot of times those light bulbs go out. So make sure that you check the light bulbs. And I don't mean like go buy a tester and test light bulbs. Hey, you can pull them right out and you can plug them right back in. So just switch one of the lights. Make sure the bulb is actually working. That's a really common failure. Other than that, I'm not going to get deep into what a landing air failure can be because that could be an entire episode on its own. Uh, but read your POH. But keep in mind, if you just have one light that's not on, there's a possibility that it's just the light bulb that went out. Or, especially on older arrows, you could have the dimmer switch uh, turned up for night flying, and it looks like all of your gear is not down. And I have I know somebody who's declared an emergency over that, and they're like, your gear looks down, it appears to be down, and they freaked out, and they thought it was the flight school's fault when they landed. And I was like, no, it was your fault for not knowing how that worked. And I could go back another one, it's probably their flight instructor's fault for not explaining it further to them. Uh, especially with ADSB, you have to turn on the nav lights. And, uh, well, depending on what type of ADSB you have, but on, on, uh, on the sky beacon, you have to turn on the nav lights. So on certain arrows, if you turn on the nav lights, it will dim the, uh, d dim the indicator for the landing gear. 
So you should probably pay attention to that as well. So if you're dimming the the uh, uh, the lights or turning on those nav lights, your landing gear might show as you don't have three green unless you really get close to it or it's really dark at night. It's the only way it'll look like that. So those are my three shortened versions of your eight items, Carson. I actually want to hear you address the rest of them. We might have to do another episode about these. These are pretty fun. Actually, I had another couple ideas for episodes, but I'll talk about that after and you guys will hear it in a couple of weeks. So lucky you guys. But thanks for responding to those. Um, you know, it's fun to hear a flight instructor's opinion, and especially because you faced them, and pretty much everyone here is going to face them at some point or another. I've had, I've had to board takeoff. I've had doors open in flight. Um, I haven't had a landing gear issue yet, but I know it's coming. So, you know, Brandy prepared me for that really well when I tested landing gear first time they were uh, touched by Rich. But we'll get into that in another episode. Thank you guys for listening today. Hope you had got a little something out of it. And as always, we really just want to emphasize the importance of training and retraining and staying super current for whatever's going to happen. Because the last thing you want in an emergency is to not know what to do. It's very true, Carson. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we did this episode. I know we uh, we went to work on this episode a few weeks ago and and uh, I was too busy and I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. But uh, today was fun, um, especially after dealing with how much turbulence I just dealt with in that uh that Embraer earlier today. So that was fun. So if any of you want to uh, reach out to us or you're in Vegas uh, for Fasana and want to say hello, and if you would like to reach out to either one of us, you can always reach us via email. It's brandon at aviationmentors.com, carson at aviationmentors.com, or for Mark, it is producer at aviationmentors.com if you would like to uh, schedule an interview. Uh, Just like we had Dave on the other day, we'd love to have you. Uh, Please just uh, shoot us an email or shoot Mark an email and we'll hopefully get you on the uh, on the podcast as long as you're an interesting person uh which so many of you are i'm just kidding uh also don't forget to hit like follow uh everything on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us on it's uh, really a huge part of helping us grow the podcast and of course helping us grow our aviation community uh which we uh, love so much also stratus financial has a scholarship out i don't know if uh, anybody's heard of it yet uh, but it's called a fly to success scholarship it is five thousand dollars for anybody who has already has 25 hours of flight time you need to be uh, close or being halfway done with uh, your your flight training Uh, that's why they've got the 25 hours of uh, flight time needed uh, to uh, to get the scholarship so by the way This is a program there's going to be a lot less people vying for. So if you have that 25 hours, you should go for it. Most uh, most people that go for scholarships, uh, they've got zero hours flying, and uh, and they are just trying to get any dollars they can. I know Stratus wants to help a, a lucky pilot who's already spent some money and who wants to get it done, help them finish. Uh, and I think that's what really is going to help uh, help our aviation community. It's going to help us get another pilot done and, and into the air, and then hopefully maybe I can go fly with them. I know we're going to announce it at Oshkosh, so that'll be kind of fun. And uh, hopefully whoever wins is at Oshkosh. That would be absolutely epic. And, uh, and maybe I could, maybe I can go flying with them. I think that'd be fun. You know what? I'm going to add this to the fly to success. Program. If they are in California, Florida, or Oshkosh, I'm going to make sure we get an airplane and I'm going to go flying with them. I think that's going to be an add on bonus. I don't know. You, whoever wins this can decide if that's a bonus or not a bonus. We'll decide. <laughs> they get to decide after that and we can interview them on the podcast after. So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate you. Thanks so much. And as a wrap up for the day, remember here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See ya.